a week or so ago, USA Today ran an article called, Where Have All the Protestants Gone? I don't know if you saw that or not. It was basically about the marginalizing and death of mainline liberal Protestant churches. The author of the article was sure to highlight what he believed to be the priorities and accomplishments of such churches. And of such he writes, and I quote, Just look at what these mainline Protestants have championed. Racial justice, equality for women, food stamps, rights for disabled, reproductive choice, and so forth. End of quotation. He then wonders how it could be that in over half of their churches there are now less than a hundred members. He also wonders how it could be that based upon current demographics, six in ten of their current churches will not make it to the next generation. What was missing from the article was the same thing that was and is missing from those churches. What's missing from the article, what's missing from those churches is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it makes sense that it was missing from the article because the gospel has been long since abandoned by being redefined and marginalized by those churches. And when churches are guilty of rejecting the gospel, it's just a matter of time before they are irrelevant and empty and worthless. Tragedy has struck. It's a very interesting article in that sense. But you know, what's true of denominations and churches is also true of individuals. And we're going to see this morning, it's been historically true of the nation of Israel. The gospel that God says is the most important thing in existence. 1 Corinthians 10.3, right? 15.3. I think I'd get the verse right since it's the most important thing in existence. That the gospel is number one priority. It's the most important thing in the whole world. The truth about Jesus Christ. Whether it's a church or a denomination or you or me or the nation of Israel, when we get that wrong, we're guilty of something horrific. We're guilty of sinning against the ultimate because we're sinning against that which is of first importance. So we're going to learn about this in in Israel's history this morning. And if you have a Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 10, verses 16 to 21 is what we'll look at. And we're going to learn about Israel this morning, but what we see is true of Israel historically is true of many denominations today, as USA Today tells us. It's true of many individuals. It might even be true of you. And so it'll be a heavy message today because we're talking about the guiltiness that comes from rejecting the gospel. But we're seeing this even in a heavy sense because we want to see ultimately how great the gospel is so that we're not guilty of rejecting it. So let us learn from Israel and her history. If you'd like an outline this morning, there'll be four actions taken by Israel that stress her guilt before God. 
for actions, historical actions taken by Israel that stress her guilt before God. And with each, <clears throat> excuse me, with each of those four, we'll also make sure to highlight some lessons that we can learn from Israel about the gospel. Remember, 1 Corinthians 10 talks about how what happened to Israel should be given to us as the church for our education, for our learning. So what we don't want to do this morning is be arrogant and puffed up and say, oh yes, Israel, they were a bunch of slackers, weren't they? They were so perverse, they rejected Jesus, they rejected the gospel, without also stopping to say, what can we learn here? They had all of the privileges. They had the Scripture. They had the blessings from God. They had so much. And the New Testament tells us that they have been given to us for our education, which is to suggest that we're not above any of that. And even our newspapers prove that we're not above doing the very things that they did. And so I trust it will be educational for us in that sense. Now, before we get to the first action that Israel took that stresses her guilt before God, just a word or two about the book of Romans. Some of you have just recently joined us. Maybe you're just joining us today. We're working our way through the book of Romans, and Romans is a book about the gospel. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. He's introducing his letter. For it, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek or the Gentile. It's a book about the gospel. It's a book, book about the good news. And what happens in Romans is it, it first starts talking about sin. That's the preview. Then we learn about sin and it gets really dark. And we learn that we are all sinners and that we all deserve, we've all earned condemnation from God. Because he's righteous and he's fair and he really only has one rule and that is treat me like I'm God. And Romans argues in 1, 2, and 3 that none of us have treated God like he is God. Not appropriately so. So we've all violated his perfect standard, his one and only rule. We've all sinned. We're all spiritual rebels. And so we learn about the justice of God and it's very strong and it's, and it's very bold and black and white. But then we learn how this righteous God who has a perfect standard also is a loving God. And at the same time, He sends His own Son here, His Son Jesus. And Jesus obeys God perfectly. He treats the Father like He's the Father. He treats God like He's God all of the time. He loves God with all of His heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not because He had anything to prove, but He's doing it for sinners. He's obeying the law for us. And then Jesus, at the end of his life, having proven that he's done everything perfectly right, at the end of his life is crucified, goes to the cross voluntarily, voluntarily gives up his life, voluntarily absorbs the wrath of God to the point where he, he cries from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He atones for sin. So we've not treated God like God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Well, Christ goes and dies a sinner's death even though he never sinned. But he's doing it on our behalf if we're to believe in him. And then he rises again from the dead and he rises again from the dead even as Romans says, for our justification so that we could stand before God righteous, perfect, even though we're not. Because we're standing before God spiritually 
with His righteousness credited to us. And that happens by faith, Romans says, over and over and over and over and over again. In Romans, the way for you to gain benefit from what Christ did is to trust in Him, to believe in Him. That's what we've been learning in Romans, and it's awesome. Christians for millennia have considered Romans their favorite book because it's so gospel-oriented, so gospel-saturated, and it's in the gospel that we find hope. We have a holy God who, who doesn't compromise, and we're sinners. There's no hope in that unless this holy God comes here and saves us. That's what Romans is about. So I love Romans. I don't ever want to get done with Romans. We will get done with Romans, I promise you. But when we're done with Romans, we'll go somewhere else that talks about this great reality. And it's been awesome. Romans 9, 10, and 11 go together, though. Romans 9, 10, and 11 deal with Israel. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you might think, what does Israel have to do with me? I live in Omaha, Nebraska. I don't really get it. Well, the more you read the Bible, the more you'll get it. Because the more you read the Bible, the more you see, oh, Israel. This is this nation that, that, that God chose and, 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 and God revealed Himself to and God gave the Scriptures to. And, and they're very important and special to God. The reason he puts Romans 9, 10, and 11 in this book, it's sort of an interruption. In one sense, I can't wait to get to chapter 12 to get on with the story. But he interrupts himself in 9, 10, and 11 because the Israel question, let's call it, is an important question. See, Israel was supposed to accept Jesus. They were to embrace Jesus. They were to see Him as their promised King that God had been telling them about for years and years and years and years and years. And they rejected Jesus. So what's up with Israel? There are all kinds of questions about Israel. And that's what Romans 9, 10, and 11 are about. And again, you're new to this. We'll get to Romans 12 soon. <laughs> but the more you read the Bible, the more you'll see that you need to have understanding about what God's relationship to Israel is like in order for you to even really understand long-term the gospel in your own life. And so I hope that helps because I know some of you are just joining us and that's really what the big picture is about. The whole thing is about the gospel. Romans 9, 10, and 11 has to do with Israel and we're focusing on that this morning. We're going to end chapter 10. We're looking at 16 to 21 Four actions taken by Israel that stress their guilt before God for rejecting the gospel. And we want to learn from that. Number one, Israel has rejected the gospel. Israel has rejected the gospel. That's the first action taken by Israel that stresses her guilt and teaches us something important about the gospel. Look at verse 16 with me, if you would. But they, referring to Israel, no doubt, based upon 9, 1 to 5 and following, but they, Israel, have not all obeyed the gospel. They have not all obeyed the gospel. And that is, a, that is a cosmic understatement based upon Romans 9, 10, and 11. Based upon the history of Israel. Uh, for, for effect, no doubt, he puts it this way. They've not all obeyed the gospel. In other words, they've rejected the gospel. They've rejected the gospel in a major, major way. Now, think about this in terms of contrast. As you think about the beginning of verse 16, they've rejected the gospel by not obeying the gospel. Think about how ironic that is because according to verse 15, the gospel is good news. Or verse 15, also according to verse 15, uh, the gospel has been brought by people who have been sent by God. 
Not only that, according to chapter 10, verse 13, it's the gospel that saves. How ironic. God sends gospel messengers. The gospel is good news. And if you believe the gospel, you'll be saved. And they've rejected it. By and large, they have not believed it. They've not obeyed it. And so it's not because the gospel isn't good that they've rejected it. It's good news by definition. It comes from God, from people sent by God. Not only that, it saves. It saves you from the wrath of God. This is a great thing. It's nonsensical backwardness what they've done. They've rejected it. Now, as we progress, he gives quite an indictment. He calls upon the Old Testament prophet Isaiah in verse 16 as we continue to read to testify against them. Look at verse 16 where it says, For Isaiah says, he's going to quote Isaiah 53.1, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Implied is a huge, fat negative. Lord, who's believed what they've heard from us? Us meaning I'm a prophet, Isaiah, and when I speak, I speak for you. Who's believed it? The implied answer is, uh, not very many people, not very many Jews, not, many, not, not very many people of God's people. The indictment is so strong because he's calling upon Isaiah who wrote some 700 years before Jesus was ever even born. See, Israel had a pattern and had a history of doing this. Prophet after prophet after prophet. And then the prophet is speaking of the coming Messiah, the coming one who would atone for sins. Isaiah 53. He's quoting Isaiah 53. I mean, it's one of the the classic atonement messianic prophecies. Lord, who's believed? Implied answer is uh, not very many. So they've rejected the gospel, but this is nothing new. This is old hat for them. When Jesus shows up on earth, John 1.11 says, He came to His own. He came to Israel. John 1.11 then says, And his own people, the Jews, did not receive him. They didn't obey the gospel. They've rejected Jesus. Now for our purposes, let's take a moment to learn something about the gospel ourselves from this passage. We see that Israel rejected the gospel. They didn't obey the gospel. It's kind of interesting in verse 16. We can learn that the gospel is to be obeyed. Do you see in verse 16? They have not all obeyed the gospel. And then he says, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed, he's using that as a synonym for, or another way of putting, obeyed what he's heard from us. So just by way of a a good little tangent, I know we talked about this either last week or the week before, but as we're learning about the gospel from Israel, let's make sure that we don't miss the point that the gospel is good news, but it is to be obeyed. We saw, I think it was last week, it may have been the week before, in Acts 16, there's a command, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It's a command to believe. Acts 17, he uses repentance, which is the other side of the same coin. And and, and I'm paraphrasing Paul where he says in Acts 17 that God is declaring to everyone everywhere that they repent. 
It's an act of obedience that by the grace of God happens. Romans chapter 1 verse 5 talks about the obedience of faith. Let's keep that in mind when we think about the gospel, when we think about telling other people the gospel, that it's not merely presenting facts. Oh, yes, we want to present facts, but it is an act of obedience to believe in the gospel because God calls everyone everywhere to repent. It is what God wants people to do. It's what God commands people to do. This might not make sense if there were many saviors many messiahs, many ways to be reconciled to God. But it makes total sense in light of the fact that Jesus is the one mediator between God and men. That's uniqueness. That He is the way and the truth and the life. John 14, that's uniqueness. That He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, that's uniqueness. And so it makes sense then that this one gospel the one good news message about Christ's perfect life and death and resurrection is not one of many. It's the one way and therefore it's to be obeyed. It's binding. It's authoritative. Have you obeyed the gospel? Which is to say, if you believe the gospel? Let's learn from Israel who didn't obey the gospel. But in Romans 9, 10, and 11, it's clear Paul is longing for them to be saved from the wrath of God, dot, 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 because they didn't obey the gospel. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, you're like Israel. These things are given to us for our instruction. It is, by definition, authoritative. Romans 10.13, as we looked at last time, is just awesome because it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you call on the name of the Lord, that's hand in hand with obeying the gospel. We want to learn from Israel's hard-heartedness, not just so we can look down at them, but so that we can look inward at our own hearts and, and learn from them. Apart from obeying the gospel, there is no salvation. Let's move on to a second action taken by Israel that stresses her guilt before God and teaches us something about the gospel that's important. And that is number two, Israel has heard the gospel. Israel has heard the gospel. Now this is going to be in verse 18, but before he gets to verse 18, he, he reviews. He reviews what he's talked about earlier, and he does that in verse 17. So just by way of review, he says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So if you look at that, that makes sense. It's in light of what he was talking about, which what we, we looked at it last week in detail. Faith comes from hearing, so you've got to hear the gospel if you're going to believe the gospel or have faith in it, and hearing through the word of Christ. What do you have to hear? You have to hear the word of Christ, which is the word from Christ, which is the word about Christ, which is the gospel. So that's just review. It's very important. We talked about it last time. But Israel heard the gospel. That comes in verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Hasn't Israel heard the gospel? And the answer that is implied, oh yes, they absolutely have heard the gospel. But here's what's going on with Paul's kind of masterful mind that knows what it means to, 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 to develop an argument. Paul knows that there are going to be people, you know people like this, you've been with people like this, who, who are in a, a Christian circle... 
and they're always trying to defend the guilty party. And so he, he's going to argue along those lines. He knows somebody's going to say, well, you know, Israel rejected the gospel, but you know what? They're not really culpable. They're not really accountable. Because, you know, maybe they never heard the gospel. So, so how can God hold them accountable? How can they really be guilty? Because sure, surely they just didn't ever even hear it. You know people like that, always trying to defend, not the weak, but the guilty. And Paul's anticipating that. Oh, maybe maybe they, they, they didn't believe because they just never heard, and it's, oh, contraire, mon frère. <laughs> right? Keep reading. Indeed, they have. So by the way, don't be that person. <laughs> Indeed, they have. For their voice, no doubt the voice of those who proclaim the good news that we've learned about earlier, has gone out to all the earth. And their words to the ends of the world. <laughs> they've heard, they've heard, they've heard, they've heard, they've absolutely heard. Their voice, the, the voice of the pro- proclaimers is, is going out to, to, he says, the ends of the world, to all the earth. Now whether he's talking about the extent of the then Roman Empire, or, or whether or not he's, he's talking it's going to all people groups, or, or, or whatever one it is, he probably doesn't mean every single individual who was living at the time, because by the way, the gospel is still going out at this time. So he's probably either talking about people groups, or he's talking about within the Roman Empire, it's permeated all these different people groups. But one thing's for sure, by now it's going beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. Remember Romans 1.16, to the Jew first and also to the Greek? Now it's gone so far and wide it's gone beyond the Jews and it's gone to the Gentiles so don't tell me that Israel's not guilty because Israel hasn't heard they're guilty all right fascinatingly enough is the fact that he's quoting Psalm 19 here Psalm 19 verse 4 is what he's quoting in verse 18 of Romans 10 now that probably doesn't fascinate you if you have no idea what Romans or Psalm 19 is talking about but let me bring you up to speed Psalm 19, verse 4, is talking about God's general revelation, meaning how God has revealed Himself to everyone. And and that's referring to things like stars, um, the moon, the sun, biology. See, everyone has experienced that. But what's interesting is Paul's borrowing from that kind of passage in Psalm 19, verse 4, And he's applying it to what we call special revelation. Gospel. Not everybody's heard it. Here's why he's doing it. He's doing it for effect, no doubt. All right, I'm going to quote the Old Testament here. The gospel has gone so far and wide, it's gone out like general revelation. It's gone out so far and wide, it's it's like the stars that everyone can see. Making the point that Israel is guilty. They've rejected the gospel, number one, and they're not off the hook because they have heard. For sure they've heard. There's no getting around the fact that they've heard. They can never say, oh, no one ever told me. Gee, officer, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to go 95. Nobody told me. heard they knew they're guilty 
Now, you say, that's kind of a bummer. I mean, this sermon isn't very inspirational, Pastor. Um, why are we looking at this? Well, for our purposes, let's learn something from this about the gospel. How about let's learn this? Hearing the gospel doesn't save. Hearing the gospel doesn't save. You do need to hear the gospel. Romans 10, 14. How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? Oh, oh well, you definitely have to hear the gospel in order to believe. But just hearing it doesn't save you. And we learned about that last time. There's got to be faith. Even Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. There's got to be faith. There's got to be calling on the name of the Lord as we saw as well in the passages before this. In other words, if you want to be technical, conscious faith is required. Israel heard and they heard and they heard and they heard and they heard some more. Just like maybe some of you have heard and you've heard and you've heard and you've heard and you've heard some more. But hearing, though vital and important, doesn't save you. In fact, it might just make you more guilty. And so again, 1 Corinthians 10 says these things, things regarding Israel's history, have been written for our instruction. So let's have this be more than a history lesson. Let's have this be spiritual history, real history designed to prove a spiritual point. Let's also, as we're trying to answer the Israel question, let's know that Israel is guilty and they're not off the hook. They're guilty of rejecting Christ even though they heard about Christ. And let's also know that we need to do more than hear. We need to call on the name of the Lord. Sometimes I like to tell people, uh, in certain settings when I'm communicating the gospel to them and I'm telling them about Christ and, and how they need perfect righteousness that is only provided in Christ and, and I'm explaining how they're a sinner and the Bible uh, teaches that and, and their life proves that and, and how Christ is the only perfect righteousness, the righteousness we need and how Christ is the only perfect atonement, the atonement that we need. Christ is the only perfect life through resurrection, the resurrection and the life that we need and Sometimes I like to say, and you've heard it today, on this day, just before noon, on March 14, 2010. You've heard it. There, I just did it to you. <laughs> it's a sobering and serious reality. They're guilty. They've heard. Let's move on to a third action taken by Israel that stresses her guilt before God and teaches us something important about the gospel. And that's number three, that Israel has understood the gospel. Israel has understood the gospel. Hopefully by now you can kind of see how this argument is unfolding. He does the same thing in verse 19 that he did in verse 18. But I ask, did Israel not understand... Again, Christian circle, always trying to defend the guilty person sometimes. Yeah, okay, you know, I, I, I'll grant you that they've heard. But, 
Maybe they didn't understand. Ever thought of that? (laughs) And Paul says, yeah, I thought of that. And you can say, I've thought of that. And he's going to now show that they did understand. Yes, they most certainly did is, is what's anticipated in the answer to verse 19. And then he's not just speculating. He's not just deducing through logic. He actually calls upon the highest authority in the whole land for evidence and testimony. He calls upon the authority of Scripture. And he starts with Moses, which would have been an ultimate trump card if you're a Jew. Look what he says in verse 19. For, for Mo, first, Moses says, he's going to quote Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, talking to Israel, with a foolish nation, and I, I will make you angry. So he's going to take from the Old Testament scriptures in Deuteronomy a quotation from Moses that talks about God saving, God redeeming non-Israelites. God saving, God redeeming Gentiles. Which is anticipating the gospel. It's anticipating Messiah who's going to come not only for Jews but also for Gentiles. Now, if you read that, you might kind of think that that's kind of nitpicky. So they've understood and, and the reason they're accountable and guilty is because of Deuteronomy thirty two twenty one. I mean, who's going to remember Deuteronomy thirty two twenty one? And 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 then tie that to Gentile inclusion and, and tie that to the gospel and the coming Messiah that's prophesied of? It's kind of nitpicky. Not if you're a Jew. Not if, and I don't mean the liberal kind. If you're you're a, a devout Jew of any stripe, you're meticulous about the Old Testament scriptures. From childhood, you're memorizing. You go to Israel today. You watch. You watch on the plane to Tel Aviv. Standing up, rocking back and forth with Torah, memorizing, meditating. It's amazing. They most certainly knew Deuteronomy 32. Your very own scriptures condemn you. Don't think for a second in your Christian circle that the Jews didn't comprehend the gospel, they memorized the Bible. They would have been guilty. They understood. They most certainly understood. Then verse 20, he not only calls upon Moses, he's really flexing here. He, he calls upon Isaiah in verse 20. Then Isaiah, another Jewish prophet, or a Jewish prophet is so bold as to say, he's going to quote Isaiah 65 verse 1, quoting God, I, because remember Isaiah speaks for God as a prophet, I, God, through the mouthpiece of Isaiah, have been found by those who did not seek me. I, God, have have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Another passage anticipating Gentile inclusion. Another passage that that has to do, therefore, with with the Messiah coming. Therefore, another passage anticipating gospel realities. And did you see what he did? He quotes Moses and then he quotes Isaiah. Classic Jewish move. 
He quotes the law and he quotes the prophets, a sampling from each. Therefore, he has the authority of the whole Bible on his side. Remember, Jesus spoke in those kinds of terms sometimes during his earthly ministry about the law and the prophets. It's pretty wild, pretty strategic. Now, I'm not going to try to improve upon the inspiration of Scripture or anything like that, but when I read those two passages, I think, man, I, I would like to submit a couple suggestions for, for passages that would be more slam-dunkish than that. <laughs> but he's giving a sampling. And he's already quoted from Isaiah 53, because that certainly was one I would want to put in the hat. They've not only heard, they've rejected. If you're not convinced yet, just read the gospel accounts. Israel understood. It wasn't just that they heard and they didn't understand. Watch what the religious leaders, the Jews, do to Jesus at every turn. And you'll say, oh yeah, they understood. They definitely did. Here's just a sampling. They understood. John 10.30 says, I, am, I and the Father are one. Verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone Him. There's no question about, hmm, I wonder what Jesus means. They knew exactly what He meant. That's why they have rocks in their hands. They understood Matthew 12, 13. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched, out, stretched it out and, and it was restored healthy like the other. Hmm, I wonder what that means. <laughs> no, verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. If Jesus has the power over sickness, that's, that's a messianic qualification. Even from the, the text that, that, according to the providence of God, Tyler read earlier and had us meditate upon. He's going to cure our illnesses. He's going to cure our diseases. The Jews knew exactly what was happening when Jesus was there, but it was going to bump them out of the limelight, and so they're conspiring against him to have him knocked off. They understood. Or how about Jesus' power over demons? Verse 22 of Matthew 12, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw, and all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the Son of David? But when the Pharisees heard, heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. They've got to say that because their authority is being questioned. Or how about even when Jesus went to the tomb, Matthew twenty-seven sixty-three. The Jews go to Pilate and say, "Guard the tomb, lest he get out." We can't have him rising from the dead. We can't have him be the Messiah he's proven himself to be. It can't happen. They did that because they understood. 
They're guilty. They do understand. Well, for our purposes, we can learn from Israel's rejection that understanding the gospel doesn't save either. Hearing the gospel doesn't save. But let's make sure we acknowledge for us here and now that understanding the gospel doesn't save. Understanding the gospel is vital. It's important. It needs to happen. But it doesn't save. I mean, think about these Jews. They understood the gospel as this text tells us. And even as as we think about the Jews, the Jews believed in the historicity of Jesus. Sometimes we think if we could just get people to somehow believe the historicity of the Bible. Well, if you go to Israel, you'll believe in the historicity of the Bible. No idiot in their right mind concludes that this is all fantasy. It's called archaeology. It's called, oh, that's where that happened? Oh, that's where that happened? Oh, that's where that happened? Oh, that's amazing. It's almost like this stuff is true. Hello, dum-dum, you know? But sometimes we think if people will understand, they'll be converted and they'll be saved. Now, we do want people to understand so they, they can believe in something actual and real. But the Jews understood all of these things. He walked with them. He was there. He did the miracles. They saw it. That's what we've got to remember. How about this? Moms and dads, you need to remember that understanding the gospel doesn't save your kids. And kids, about your moms and dads, if they understand the gospel, it doesn't mean they're saved any more than the Jews were saved and friends and coworkers and neighbors and Sunday school teachers and Sunday school students. Oh, yeah, we're, we're aiming toward understanding, but we, we've got to go further. Romans 10, 13, again, I'll quote it again. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Israel's guilty of understanding and not calling on Him, not trusting in Him for salvation. They believed in all the historicity. There's no question about that. Fourth and final action taken by Israel that stresses her guilt before God and teaches us something important about the gospel is Israel has disregarded the patience of God. Israel has rejected. Israel has discarded. Israel has stiff-armed the patience of God, we could say. Again, the argument might be God just didn't give them enough time. You know, maybe he just kind of sprung it on them. Something they really needed to work through. Somehow, you know, we all kind of end up sometimes wanting to be like Adam. Really good at blame shifting. God, it was the woman who you gave me. God, this is your fault. Well, sometimes we want to say, you know what, let's let's give Israel a break. Maybe it's just that God wasn't patient. God wasn't kind. He was just so strict in the Old Testament, wasn't he? That's a dead giveaway. You haven't read the Old Testament. But anyway, verse 4 says, or excuse me, number 4, verse 21, but of Israel, he says. Now he's quoting Isaiah 65, 2. He just quoted Isaiah 65, 1. Now Isaiah 65, 2. All day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. What a great image. Over and over and over and over again, all day 
along as a disposition, character. This is who I am. This is what I do. I am merciful and I am patient and I am long-suffering all day long. I've had my hands out. I will help you. I will save you. It says to a disobedient, remember that? They didn't obey the gospel. To a disobedient and contrary people. Contrary is kind of a weird thing to say. It's kind of an awkward thing. There are other translations. The reason it's kind of awkward is because it's kind of an awkward thing to translate. But, it, but it's the idea of arguing against. You speak against. I've got my hands out. I want to help them and they don't obey me. I say, call upon my son. Believe in my son. And, and they not only don't obey, they actually argue with me. They speak against me. They're, they're, they're contrary in that sense. They call my son the devil. Is what they do. So, so take me off the hook. I'm not on the hook on this one. This is who I am. This is really important for us to remember too as we're studying Romans together in light of Romans 9. Because Romans 9 is just so high-handed sovereignty of God and what God wants to do, He does. And to that, I'm a Baptist and I say, Amen. That's Romans 9. It really is. But Romans 9 is meant to be complemented with Romans 10. He's this kind of God. He's long-suffering and patient and kind and merciful and waiting. They're guilty, they're guilty, they're guilty, they're guilty. Not God. Listen to the first Christian martyr in the history of the church. And who was that? Stephen, thank you. Some of you pass. You can move on to kindergarten. Um, (laughs) Acts chapter 7 verse 52 says, listen to this sarcasm. Man, I love sarcasm. I don't want to be martyred, but I love sarcasm. (laughs) Here's Stephen. They're getting ready to kill the guy. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? Um, could you just name one prophet that the Jewish people didn't reject? You're liable to get hurt if you say things like that. Well, Stephen knew. Just, just tell me one. What's the problem here? The pattern is God is like this. And He sends and He sends and He sends good news messengers, gospel messengers. And what do you do? You're gonna, you do to them what you're doing to me. What's wrong with this picture? And then Stephen goes on to say, and they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. How about John the Baptist as a classic example, whom you have now betrayed and murdered? Talk about God who is patient. Talk about God who is kind and you guys have a reputation. All you do is kill the messenger and now you've killed the righteous one. And Stephen's message, therefore, is repent. Repent. Just simply, we could say, for our purposes, we can learn something about the gospel from this passage. We can learn certainly about God being long-suffering as it relates to the gospel in our lives, the lives of people we know. Every breath we take is just another moment of God's patience. He doesn't owe it to us. We also learn something about the hard-heartedness of men and women apart from grace. 
They can see it all. They can have a God who is patient and kind and apart from God intervening supernaturally, they still reject. Now one final footnote before we wrap it up. And you might get whiplash from this because it's going to take us away from our passage a little bit and then we're going to go back to it. But it's a question that comes up and inquiring minds want to know. In this passage, we've learned that Israel has rejected Christ and they're guilty. They've heard and they're guilty. They've understood and they're guilty. And they're guilty against God who is patient, who keeps sending messengers. Here's the question that comes up. So, in light of Romans 10, does that mean people are only guilty if they hear and understand and reject. If you only have Romans 10 to go off of, you might draw that conclusion. Because that's what's going on here with Israel. I just want to remind you of Romans 1. We learned a long time ago in Romans 1, maybe a long time ago in Romans 1, that everyone is guilty. Right? Remember, God's revealed Himself through creation, which affects everyone. We call it general revelation. And it ends after talking about that in Romans 1.20. So they are without excuse. Back in Romans 1, it's talking about all of humanity has seen something of God. So that they are all without excuse. So make sure you remember Romans 1 and then make sure you remember Romans 10 is talking about a unique people. Even though we've tried to apply it to us today, for today, it's talking about Israel. So Israel was guilty. They were under Romans 1 in one sense. They were guilty to begin with and then God made them a nation and then God gave them all of these messengers and God gave them all of these gifts. And so they, we might even say for sake of understanding, they were guilty according to Romans 1 and now they're doubly guilty because they've heard and understood. I say this so that you don't develop an unbiblical theology that concludes that people are innocent unless they hear and reject. That doesn't work with Romans 1. Romans 1 has has us know that we're all guilty whether we ever hear the gospel or not because we're all sinners and we've all rebelled against God. So I didn't want to detract from what we were seeing, but I wanted to make sure that I wasn't leading you down a road that you really didn't want to go down. And I just wanted to take you back to Romans 1. Ending where we started. God's most important thing in the whole world is His Son, Jesus. He said Himself from heaven, I am well pleased with Him. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 15.3, I'll get it right this time, it's first priority. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Israel has been guilty of rejecting God's ultimate and therefore they are guilty for that. And so would be the case with any church or any denomination or any individual. Even any of us here. We've got to remember that. We've got to remember that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's really where we want to be. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for...
this example, the example of the nation of Israel, and there's still more to be learned about them from Romans chapter 11. It's good to know that you are patient and long-suffering and kind. It's good to know that you certainly communicated yourself to them. In a strange sense, it's even good for us to know that they rejected and there are consequences. Because we find ourselves in a position of great spiritual privilege with all of this history, with all of these things to learn, with all of this knowledge, with all of this teaching. Lord, may we not be people who hear and understand and yet don't obey the gospel. May we be people, individuals, who call upon the name of the Lord and obey the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.